Social Ventures Australia brings you this podcast from the SVA Quarterly, sharing insights from SVA's work and from across the social sector. Hi, I'm Rebecca Thomas, Director in SVA's Impact Investing Team. Welcome to the SVA Quarterly Podcast. This edition focuses on specialist disability accommodation, a funding mechanism under the National Disability Insurance Scheme. The podcast focuses on the improvements that still need to be made to deliver high quality housing options. Steve Anthony knows firsthand the pitfalls of inappropriate housing for people with disability. The father of a young man with autism, Anthony is also pro bono CEO of Supporting Independent Living Cooperative, also known as SILK, an organisation helping families of people with disability to develop independent housing models. Anthony says, Around 10 years ago, my son Patrick was put in a group home near Penrith. It didn't really work because he had no idea where he was. It was 70 kilometres away from us and where he had lived, and he couldn't get to his day programme. It was supposed to be a temporary thing, but he was there for 18 months. While there, Patrick made his own way home, barefoot, at night, twice. It was this experience which led Anthony to help found Silk. The organisation aims to help NDIS participants and their family members to form and operate small family-governed supported independent living homes. Even so, Patrick is currently living with two other residents in a home leased on the private rental market and he has no security of tenure. Anthony told us, We've had one house in Silk where the landlord has said your lease is up and you need to move. You wouldn't want that to happen every year and the risk is that it can happen every year. The behaviours of the participants are much likely to be better if they're in a stable environment and in a purpose-built environment. Patrick's experience is not a one-off story. Appropriate, safe, long-term and affordable housing for those with disability is at low levels in Australia. Most of the housing pre-NDIS was inadequate, badly maintained, badly located and very institutional in design, more like a hospital than a home. When the NDIS was introduced in 2013, it marked the first time in Australian history that legislation mandated long-term committed funding to provide support and services to Australians with significant disability. The NDIS is designed to give individuals choice and control over how they spend their funding. Individuals take part in a planning process which details and documents their needs and goals. Funding is then allocated in alignment with these goals. The National Disability Insurance Agency, NDIA, is an independent agency that is responsible for implementing the NDIS. One of the areas that the NDIS addresses is housing needs. This podcast will look at the Specialist Disability Accommodation Mechanism, also known as SDA, within the NDIS, which funds accommodation for people with specific acute needs. We will also talk about how effective this mechanism is at providing choice and control to the people it aims to support. We know that one critical contribution to the quality of a person's life is their home, but what does suitable housing look like? Clearly, it needs to be designed and built around the needs of the residents. Rob Watkins is Executive Director of Support Services at Aruma, previously housed with no steps and the Tipping Foundation, and a disability service provider which works largely with people with intellectual disabilities. 
A rumour assists individuals with their daily life by providing support and care. This can be done in both a non-residential or a residential capacity. Its role is funded through the NDIS, but separate to the amount allocated to SDA. Service providers such as ARIMA are often referred to as SILs, Supported Independent Living Providers. As the NDIS was designed to give participants choice, it is recommended that accommodation and SIL providers be different entities. Watkins says, with greater choice and control, people are seeking greater independence. They're looking for different housing models. We need contemporary housing that is modern in design, which provides areas of privacy for individuals. This could be their own living areas, bathroom, and for some kitchenettes if they're able to cook for themselves. The housing needs to allow them to be supported by staff if needed. Homes should also be in areas with community supports, accessible to public transport, and with security of tenure. Watkins told us, for our organisation, the homes would also need to be sustainable from an ecological perspective. To provide real choice to participants, in the spirit and purpose of the NDIS, housing supply also needs to be high quality and varied in design. So why SDA? To help deliver some of this much needed supply, the NDIA committed to SDA. SDA refers to accommodation for people who require specialist housing solutions. This includes to assist with the delivery of supports that cater for their extreme functional impairment or very high support needs. Participants who are assessed as needing SDA as part of their reasonable and necessary supports will receive funding to cover the cost of SDA. The NDIA estimates that some 6% of NDIS participants, approximately 28,000 people, will be eligible for SDA funding, although many in the sector believe this estimate is on the low side. The funding itself is attached to individuals rather than to the accommodation. As such, it's a participant-led model where funding flows directly to the accommodation, but only if an individual is living there. However, to date, the approval process has been slow, inconsistent and not particularly transparent. The eligibility criteria are not clear. A rumour, for example, is not able to predict which of its clients will be deemed SDA eligible. It is intended that SDA will stimulate this market by catalyzing the required parties. Investors, developers, builders and service providers into delivering the homes for the estimated 28,000 people, which equates to 6% of participants. This does not mean that other NDIS participants do not require suitable accommodation. Far from it. Many are in dire need of suitable places to live, but for those individuals, additional government funding is not available through the NDIS. This is something which both complicates the situation and concerns SIL providers such as a rumour. Watkins says, what would be ideal for us is a mix of SDA and non-SDA eligible contemporary housing. But there isn't the return for developers in the non-SDA housing, so they're not willing to enter into those arrangements. Despite SDA payments being rolled out initially in 2016, the level of suitable disability housing in Australia is still woefully low. 
To be enrolled as SDA, homes have to meet certain standards set by the NDIS Quality and Safeguards Commission. These standards are specific to SDA design categories. Basic, improved livability, fully accessible, robust and high physical support. For more information, please see the article on our website. Buildings need to be approved prior to occupation and concurrently individuals must get SDA approved in their NDIS plans. Based on available data from the NDIA, we know that as at the end of March 2019, 12,356 individuals have SDA funding in their active NDIS plans. We also know that 2,896 SDA dwellings have been enrolled throughout Australia by region and SDA design category. Even though these dwellings accommodate from one to six residents, there is still a significant gap between available SDA accommodation and individuals with the funding to live in those dwellings. Critically, the data provided doesn't give any detail on the specifics of where the exact need is. We know where the SDA approved individuals currently live, but not what type of design and category they require. The data also details where the different categories of SDA dwellings have been approved, but it does not detail how that aligns with the participants or demand. A much broader issue is the complexity of the NDIS and accessing SDA. A lot of people with disability and their families are not even aware of SDA, including those that are well versed on the NDIS. This speaks to the complexity of the NDIS as a whole. It's not easy to find information about SDA if you don't know what you're looking for. Kim McIntosh, a current resident of a summer housing apartment, said when SDA was introduced in 2017, she had to wait until 2018 before it was incorporated into her NDIS plan. Kim told us, At the time, I only received a quarter of the funding that should have been given to me. It was not what we thought it would be, and it was very daunting as I did not know what was going to happen. I thought I may have to move back to the nursing home, and that was something I did not want. This lack of knowledge results in investors, developers and builders making decisions based on limited information. Troy Gorton is Executive General Manager Strategy and Development at Simmons Homes, a builder which has been looking into the SDA market, and he says demand mapping is the biggest challenge. Troy says, There's lots of high-level statistics around there being several thousand people needing accommodation, but no one can give you the answer as to where the specific demand is. There's a lot of appetite to participate, but there's still a lot of information that needs to be shared before we can have a substantial impact into providing into this sector. As a result, some investors and developers have taken the approach to build it and they will come, rather than taking a participant-led approach, as the returns on some of the categories can be quite good. With this approach, as with other housing models, developers build homes and then on completion secure the tenants. Although this approach adds supply into the market, there is an inherent risk that the housing being built is not in the right location and is not at the correct specifications to meet individuals' needs. The knock-on impact of this is long-term vacancies, which developers' investors won't have accounted for. Speaking from an investor perspective, Matthew Tomink from the Impact Fund has a warning. 
Investors should beware that some of the highest yielding investments on paper are not the most desirable for tenants, which is what the SDA is aiming to build. This could jeopardise long-term returns. His sentiments are echoed by Jacob Edwards, Impact Finance Manager at Bank Australia. Edwards says, Shortcuts will come back to bite investors in the medium to long term, where quality co-design, location, built form and community are present, then participants will choose to remain. Partnering with the right groups with a shared vision is critical to success. The NDIS, and specifically the SDA, is all about being more responsive to tenants. It would be a disaster if after creating a user-directed system to privilege clients, the wrong type of dwellings are built in the wrong places. In the face of data paucity, the other approach is for developers, builders and investors to work with the community housing providers and SILs who are already in contact with potential residents. This is one of the approaches that Gorton says Simmons has been exploring. Gorton says, the community housing providers know their tenants, their age, their disability, their support and social networks and are able to take a very custom approach to housing provision. However, this can be quite expensive. So we're looking to see if we can standardise any of the elements or if we can streamline procurement or the design process. We'd hope that there'd be a pretty simple model we could roll out but it's more complicated given the various parties. Gorton says, we're not talking to the end users directly, but we are surrounding ourselves with people who have real life experience and credibility around design for people with disability. Being responsive to the needs of tenants is the very raison d'etre of the NDIS. SILs and community housing providers may be filling a need in matching demand to supply to some extent with their deeper understanding of existing clients and their ability to provide direct links to potential tenants for investors and builders. However, SILs like Aruma expend a lot of resources matching up people for group homes of two or more, for example, activities that are not covered by the NDIS. For people with intellectual disability, matching the right tenants and the right location requires extra sensitivity and care, and it can be a lengthy process. With the cost of these functions carried by the SILs themselves, and in an environment where organisations have had to move from block funding to NDIS funding, some SILs are under greater financial pressure. Watkins says, My fear is that some providers under severe financial strain may be motivated to fill vacancies quickly and short-circuit some of these robust processes. This may lead to adverse outcomes. One solution to matching tenants to available housing is a platform like realestate.com approach, which brings together people with SDA funding looking for housing and housing providers similar to Summer Foundation's housing hub. This kind of model will work for some tenants, but not all. Clearly, it will not replace the sort of service organisations like Aruma provides by giving opportunities for people to try out potential homes, but there needs to be a range of ways for people to access housing. The SDA Pricing and Payments Framework sets out the payment applicable for the constructed SDA housing. It has different payment levels across design categories and housing types. And for group homes, the different number of residents, including the on presence of on-site overnight assistance or not.
as applicable. The framework has been designed to take into account land, construction and finance costs, as well as ongoing maintenance and property management costs. The framework's transparency enables investors to understand their investment's revenue stream. However, the assumptions behind the framework need to be redesigned to de really deliver a range of housing supply typologies across a range of locations and to fully give individuals choice. Currently, the source of data for the median land values is the Australian Bureau of Statistics Statistical Area Level 4, SA4, used for the output of regional data. These are the largest sub-state regions and do not provide sufficient granularity to deliver the right pricing levels for particular areas. Bank Australia's Edwards says a very broad ABS SA4 level doesn't allow for appropriate granularity to adequately represent the highest cost locations. Edwards says, by the same token, SDA payments for lower cost locations are inflated by neighbouring higher cost locations within the SA4, which, is, which increases the total cost of provision of the scheme. Adopting a more relevant source for location factors would achieve a more accurate cost of SDA provision in specific locations and would serve to better support investment across all locations, he says. Additionally, Edwards suggests setting a uniform base price across all design categories could encourage development according to a demand rather than a profit. In an attempt to address some of the deficiencies in SDA, the Council of Australian Governments, COAG, Disability Reform Council, announced a number of actions earlier this year around SDA. These actions included improving the planning process for participants, providing pricing certainty and market information for investors, and clearer design guidelines and incentives for innovation for SDA developers. Some of these actions were implemented immediately, with others due to be operationalised by July. The sector has welcomed the announcements which provide more certainty around the future of SDA and reflect a strong commitment to its long-term funding. Also, the actions themselves should certainly help address some of the problems. However, at this stage it is not clear whether specific actions will improve the system enough. For example, while there has been a commitment to provide market information for investors, to date, it is not explicit whether this would solve for the deficiencies we've already highlighted. So in conclusion, the premise and intentions behind SDA, and more broadly the NDIS, are good. However, in its current form, it's not fully delivering what it's set out to do. Wholesale changes aren't required, but some improvements could really make a difference in bridging the gap between disability housing supply and demand. The lack of knowledge and understanding of the SDA landscape by those individuals and their families who may be able to access funding needs to be rectified. Additionally, broader knowledge of SDA for other stakeholders, investors and developers, can bring the right people into the sector to deliver the best outcomes. There is a bigger role for the NDIA to play here. We understand from individuals who have to navigate the SDA approval process for SDA to put, be put into their plans. More needs to be done to make this stressful and uncertain process more efficient and consistent. The NDIA is making improvements in this area, but there is room for more. In terms of unlocking more appropriate supply, a lot comes down to a lack of appropriate data. 
More data detailing what different types of accommodation is needed and where is the first step to driving better outcomes for individuals. This also ties into the need for more detail in the assumptions driving the pricing framework to adequately and appropriately compensate investors on a risk-adjusted basis, as well as drive supply into the areas where it is needed. This is by no means a comprehensive list of changes needed, but rather some improvements that would make a big difference. We'll know when SDA is finally working optimally when there is adequate housing supply across all categories and geographies. This may require more than the changes we've talked about, but regardless, we shouldn't lose sight of the most important part of NDIS and SDA, the individuals. As Watkins says, the built environment has such an impact on the whole demeanour of people and their health, safety and well-being. Society has to do a lot better in the way people with disability are treated. They simply shouldn't be confined to some of the poorest quality housing in Australia. And sadly, that is currently the case now. Related podcasts and articles can be found on the SVA Quarterly site, www.socialventures.com.au forward slash SVA hyphen quarterly forward slash.